turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27 and 28. Acts chapters 27 and 28. I appreciate it so much, Larry's call to worship. Have you encountered God this morning? Have you seen Him for who He is? You came to worship Him. And do you see yourself as you are? And will you respond like Isaiah and say, here am I, send me? Appreciated that. I want to bring to a close this morning this series of messages entitled Unleashed. We began this series way back uh, the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. The idea was to see how did the resurrection of Jesus impact his followers? How did it impact the apostles? I mean, what were they supposed to do once he had risen from the dead? Well, what were they to do after he ascended back into heaven? And so we've been, been looking at that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus set the strategy for them. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. That, <clears throat> that was the strategy they were to follow. And we've seen them do that throughout the book of Acts, equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Our Lord unleashed His church upon the world to take the good news of a risen Christ to everyone they met. That work has never stopped. You are proof of it. Someone told you about the risen Christ. That's why you're here today, right? Yeah. That work has never stopped. That work never will stop until our Lord returns. And Jesus told his disciples back in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell, Satan himself, cannot prevail, cannot overcome or overpower the church when it goes forward with the message of the gospel. On December the 19th of 1997, James Cameron's epic movie Titanic was released here in the United States. It took the world by storm. The setting of the movie, of course, was 1912, the year that the Titanic set out on its maiden voyage. It was the crown jewel of shipbuilding technology. It was ornately fitted with the most extravagant decor that, that money could buy. The result was a floating palace fit for the kings of the industrial age of that time. A first-class room on the Titanic cost $4,350 in a day when the average daily wage might have been a dollar a day or less. It was incredible. It was so advanced in its technology that the shipbuilder boasted that not even God himself could sink the Titanic. And yet, on its maiden voyage, as you know, the Titanic hit an iceberg. And on April the 15th of 1912, at 2.30 a.m. in the morning, it quickly sank like a stone, plunging 1,600 people to their deaths. And now its wreckage, the remainder of it, lies thousands of feet below the icy waters of the North Atlantic. And yet, in the midst of all the death and destruction, not everyone died. Not everyone sank. One passenger, Mrs. Maggie Brown, known to us as the unsinkable Molly Brown, 
ignored the pleading of the quartermaster that was in her little lifeboat. He said, get away from the ship, get away from the ship, or when it goes down, it'll suck us in too and we'll perish. But she ignored his pleas, and instead, she led a rescue effort for survivors in that icy water. And other lifeboats did the same. And then ultimately, they were rescued by the passing ship, the Carpathia. Fast forward to today, 2023, 111 years after the sinking of the Titanic. We live in a culture very much like that of the Titanic. Our world, particularly our country, boasts of its power and wealth. It believes itself unsinkable. And yet it is bent on heading towards icebergs at full speed. And Molly Brown is a metaphor for the mission of the church. We should be determined to save as many as possible from a sinking ship before it disappears, even if it puts our own lives in danger. You know, throughout history, the church has seemed about as insecure as those lifeboats that, that survived the sinking of the Titanic and were left adrift there in the North Atlantic. And yet from the very first, the church survived overwhelming opposition. Just think back of all the threats and the attacks on the church that we have seen thus far in the book of Acts in this series of messages. First, the Sanhedrin court arrested, threatened, and then beat the apostles for preaching Jesus. Then it led to the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They stoned him for telling the truth. And that brought about a great persecution against the church, led by Saul of Tarsus, who tried to purge the land of Christians. But then later, Saul, known now as Paul the Apostle, was driven out of one town after another for preaching the gospel, stoned in one city and left for dead, all for preaching Jesus. Paul was arrested, he was beaten, he was plotted against, he, he faced four different trials, and yet the gospel kept going forth unhindered. God had unleashed something very powerful upon the world. And all throughout the book of Acts, and we haven't dealt with every chapter, we're not going to, I just wanted you to see how God unleashed his church upon the world, the impact that the resurrection had on his followers, so that when you come to the final two chapters of Acts, and you've seen the persecution, you've seen the threats, you've seen the obstacles, the gospel has still survived at the end of Acts. And even here in these final two chapters with Paul, the gospel survives four more great threats. The first threat was the legal case against Paul. Paul was going to Rome to stand trial, he had been charged with insurrection and desecrating the temple in Jerusalem. Now those were lies, those were trumped up charges, but as a Roman citizen, Paul could appeal to Caesar. And since he didn't believe that he could get a fair trial in Jerusalem, that's exactly what he did. He appealed to Caesar, 
And so he's got to be taken to Rome. Now, he, he probably knew that if he were convicted in Rome, that he would be executed. And that would be a huge blow to the church. A second threat that Paul encountered was a near-death experience at sea. He's under guard. He's put on board a ship that was sailing from Caesarea to Crete. It was a grain ship that had headed originally from Egypt and was going to Rome. But against Paul's advice, the Roman centurion proceeded to set out in a bad time of year. Winter was drawing near. And Paul warned him that they shouldn't go at that time. They should wait. But he was determined to go, and so they set out. And sure enough, the ship was caught in a fierce north wind called the Northeaster. The ship was driven aimlessly about in the sea for 14 days. Everybody on board gave up hope. But then an angel appeared to Paul, told him everyone on board would be saved if they stayed with the ship. Well, they ran aground on a sandbar off the coast of the island of Malta. And there, the, the waves and the sea began to tear the ship apart that was stuck in that sandbar. The soldiers were ready to kill all the prisoners to keep them from escaping. But the centurion prevented them from doing that because he wanted to save Paul. So they all jumped ship. They swam or floated ashore as the ship broke apart. And everyone survived by the skin of their teeth, all 276 of them. A third threat was a poisonous snake bite. When Paul and his shipmates finally reached dry land on the island of Malta, the natives built a bonfire for those wet travelers to warm themselves. Being a servant at heart, Paul was helping gather wood for the fire, and a snake in the woodpile bit him. Those natives superstitiously thought that Paul must be a murderer, and justice had finally caught up to him. But Paul just shook the snake off and, and went on, and nothing happened to him. And so they then just kind of turned on a dime and decided he must be a god to survive that. Well, while they're on Malta, just like Jesus would have done, Jesus healed the tribal chief's father and all the sick on that island. A final threat was his rejection by the Jews in Rome. When Paul finally arrived in Rome, his first order of business was to assemble all the Jews there. And he called them in, not to gain support in, in his defense before Caesar, but simply to tell them of the faithfulness of God in sending the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, they had heard some bad things about Christians, but nothing bad personally about Paul. And so from sunup to sunset, they listened to Paul explain how all of God's promises were fulfilled in Jesus, beginning with Moses, all through the prophets. Some of the Jews believed. Most of them did not. And so then Paul declared that he would go to the Gentiles who would listen. Now, in spite of these dangers and threats, the book of Acts ends on a triumphant note. Because in chapter 28, beginning in verse 30, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul might have been chained to a Roman guard under house arrest. But folks, the gospel isn't chained. Paul was able to entertain guests, which he did constantly. If you read in your New Testament the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, especially Philippians where he writes about joy so much. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Understand he wrote those four books while under house arrest. They're called the prison epistles. And he's writing about joy when he's in prison. But he wrote those books. He ran an entire worldwide missionary organization while in chains. And this triumphant note is not because Paul avoided all disaster, but because he overcame all disaster with God's help. Now, what has God brought you through that you need to testify about? And it's not that you avoided some type of disaster in as much as God brought you through it. You still had to go through it, but God brought you through it. What testimony do you have about God that you need to share of His greatness and His faithfulness to you? Now, that's how the book of Acts ends. It, it ends kind of at a strange place. Luke uh, kind of leaves Paul's story unresolved. Perhaps Luke wrote before the matter was settled in Rome. Maybe Luke died before he could finish Acts. Perhaps Luke planned on a third volume. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, continued the story here in the book of Acts. Maybe he planned on a third volume. Or maybe he intended to end it exactly where he did. See, we need to remember that the book of Acts is not about Paul. It's about taking the Gospel to the ends of the earth. We've already seen it go all the way to Ethiopia. Now it's gone to Rome. It's, it's just going further and further and further. And the point of Acts is not the fate of Paul. It's the faithfulness of God. It's not the story of Paul. It's the story of Jesus continued in the church. Paul would eventually die at the hands of Nero in A.D. 64, but even though he died for Christ, the gospel did not die with him. God is faithful. Amen? Yeah. And remember Luke's writing to a struggling and oppressed church. They didn't have big church buildings or big budgets or programs or staffs. They were just a few scattered house churches in a few dozen cities. They believed that they were the kingdom that God had promised to the Jews for centuries. And yet most Jews still met down the street in a synagogue and didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised in Scripture. And this struggling, mostly Gentile church had a lot of questions. Why doesn't everybody believe our message? How are we going to survive in the midst of such opposition to our message? But they did. Because the gospel is unhindered. In the book of Acts, Luke reminds these churches that God keeps his promises and nothing can stop his purposes in the world. In the gospel of Luke, God sent Jesus, and yet his own people, the Jews, rejected him. In the book of Acts, God sends the apostles, empowered by Jesus. 
They're also rejected by the majority of the Jews. But God's plans did not fail. 3,000 Jews were baptized on the day of Pentecost. Soon their number was up to 5,000. In chapter 21, the elders report thousands of Jews that believed. So in almost every city, there were Jews who believed, even though the majority did not. But then when you add in God's plan with the Gentiles, all a part of his plan, all a part of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Well, what does this mean to you and me? What does it mean to us? Does Luke's message in the book of Acts still speak to us today? Well, it better. And it tells us nothing can stop the advance of the kingdom of God and the good news of a risen Lord. Acts speaks to us today as we see our culture become post-Christian, less and less Christian. I mean, every day. The news reports that schools and cities are trying to remove any public displays that deal with the Christian faith. Every day there are those that seek to disenfranchise the church from our American society. And while some Christians are panicking due to this, I think we've got reason to be hopeful and even optimistic. Because the church always seems to grow the fastest and the purest when the forces of the world are set against it. You wouldn't think that, but that's true. We have good news even as we see our nation and the world at large become hostile to our faith. And as our culture turns darker and darker, the church, the kingdom of God, will shine brighter and brighter in contrast. And yeah, most people will reject Jesus. That's true. There will be more people go to hell than heaven. Jesus told us himself in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are those who find it, but straight is the way that leads to salvation. And few there are that find it. Most people will reject Jesus, but God will still keep his promises. His kingdom will continue to grow, sometimes in the most unexpected places. Our country, the United States, may well reject God totally, but Kenya and Africa is wide open. North America may grow cold for a time, but South America is on fire. Europe may reject the gospel, but there are places in Asia, even in communist China, where masses of people are accepting the gospel. The Holy Spirit may lead the church in unexpected directions, but God's purpose cannot be stopped even by the stubbornness of God's own people. And all I'm saying is that nothing can stop the expansion of the kingdom of God, the church, not even the gates of hell. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means we should be people of hope despite what happens in our culture or in our country. In the short run, we may appear to be pessimistic because we know this world will never be hospitable to followers of Jesus for long. We know nothing that we do as humans will ever bring about the final solution to the world's problems. Only God can do that. But in the long run, though, Christians should be optimistic 
We believe God will keep His promises to bring salvation even in a world that opposes Him. And so if nothing else, the book of Acts should teach us to commit ourselves to being a part of God's saving work right here, right now. Our salvation will not come from the state house. It will not come from the White House. Salvation comes from God's house as His people are the means through which the gospel is disseminated throughout the world. That's where salvation comes from. And that's why, as Larry shared this morning, our response should be, here am I, send me. And we should see that from the book of Acts. The book of Acts reminds us that though it faced many threats and a lot of opposition, the gospel of God's reign in Christ is in the end irrepressible. There's no thread in our personal lives that can overwhelm God's purpose for us. There is no sin, no addiction, no pressure, no stress that is bigger than God's love or God's power. There is no threat in this nation or in this world that can defeat God's purpose. And just as the ship that carried Paul couldn't sink because of God's protection, so the gospel is unsinkable, unlike the Titanic. And so we come to the end of this series of messages but it's not the end of the story. The story of a risen Christ that can save a person from sin goes on unhindered by God's power. The question is, what role will we play in, the, in that never-ending story? Will we be like the Jews who can't accept what God is doing today because we have him all safely boxed into our religious system? Or will we be like the Gentiles that accept Jesus because we're hungry to have a reason for hope in an unjust world? Will we be like Peter in Acts chapter 10 and allow God's Spirit to open up our eyes and hearts to people that need Jesus but who seem unclean to us? Or will we be like the circumcision group in Acts 15 that are so committed to maintaining unnecessary traditions that we make the gospel a wall to hide behind instead of a bridge from God to all people? Will we be like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8? Try to use the power of God in the gospel for our own selfish purposes? Or will we be like Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 and let the gospel become the driving force in our lives for which we'll sacrifice all of our personal ambitions. Will we obey Jesus and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? Will we say, here am I, send me? And more to the point, will we be Christ's witnesses right here at home? The unending story of Jesus and the unsinkable gospel will go on beyond us and beyond this universe. The question is, will it go on through you or in spite of you? And you know which needs to happen. I'm done preaching. It's decision time. 
And I think no better decision that you could make today, even if you make it right where you stand, would be to say, okay, God, I've not been, I've not been allowing you to spread the gospel through me. But today I want to change that. So here am I. Send me. If you have a public decision you need to make today, if you need to accept Christ as the risen Savior and Lord of your life, have your sins washed away, you can make that decision today too. If you have a public decision you'd like to make, you can meet me right down in front while we stand, while we sing.